This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. And welcome back to White Ladies in Crisis, a podcast about women losing their marbles. I am Jen, and I'm taking the wheel for a 90s musical montage and a bonus episode for the Love Hurts series from the Anatomy of a Screen Pod Squad. But I am still joined by my amazing co-host, Gina Radcliffe. Hello. And Joe Lipset. Hello. And today we are talking about one of my OG crushes, uh, the 1993 thriller, The Crush, starring Alicia Silverstone and Carrie Elways. Yay, I'm so excited. (laughs) (laughs) He looks so hot in this movie. Oh my gosh, I think this is peak Carrie Elways hottness, I think. Yeah, he's he's trying to look a little, he's trying to look a little nerdy and not succeeding. Mm -hmm, I know. (laughs) Um, Well, so Gina, this was your suggestion. And I'm curious, what is your experience with the crush? You know, I, I, you probably are both, you're both a a bit younger than me, but you're you're presumably old enough to remember the uh, Alicia Silverstone years of the 90s, Mm -hmm. where where we were were very, we were very weird about that. Uh, (laughs) You know, she was in those, she was in those Aerosmith videos where she's just kind of playing the like dim fet, and, <laughs> uh-huh. and I think this is for me. This is this is in the same category as um, Wild Things, where this is a movie you cannot make anymore. And you, no, at, at, yeah. at best, you would have to cast an obviously adult actress playing a teenager. But she is mm-hmm. fifteen here, <laughs> playing fourteen, and and it's just it's a odd little you know you know to me it's it's kind of a, a a a you know a good example to point at the the weirdness of of the early to mid 90s totally agree and yes yeah, she is 15 here she actually became a legally emancipated adult during the filming of this so that she could get around the child labor laws, which I thought was very interesting. (laughs) It's like, oh, those laws exist for a What were we thinking? Exactly. (laughs) And Joe, had you seen this before? Oh, gosh, yes. Uh, (laughs) My sister and I were big fans of Clueless, so uh, we were also watching a lot of this kind of schlocky goodness when, (laughs) you know, you you would go to Blockbuster and just rent any old title, Mm -hmm. and that would be a weekend. Yeah, so we would do a lot of these kinds of titles, or our other favorite genre was uh, Disabled Ladies in Crisis, so like Marley Matlin films (laughs) or other things like... (laughs) Hush. Uh, good stuff. Good times. <laughs> Sounds like a Bodies of Horror slash White Ladies in Crisis crossover episode brewing. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we'll pull Nicole all over and she can help us out. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I remember watching this a lot when I was little. T- well, not little, but I mean, I was, what is this, 93? So I was about 13 around when this came out. And I remember this was deep in my when I find a person who I have a crush on which was Carrie Elways in this movie. Thank you, um, Princess Bride. I mm-hmm. And I did this without IMDb. I would like search and find every movie they were in and I would search it out to watch them. And I did this with Eric Stoltz too, which is why I've watched a lot of really strange movies <laughs> uh, for like a 13, 14 year old. And I made my parents one time 
um, record on our VCR Rob Roy because Eric Stoltz is in it for like 10 minutes. And I was like, I've got to see this movie because he's so cute. <laughs> I don't know. I think I was like out of town and, and they forgot. And then my dad bought me a copy of the VHS. And I was like, I don't care about this. This movie's not good. He's in it for like two minutes. Um, but yeah, so I did this with Carrie Always too. And that's why I watched The Crush. I don't remember being super into Alicia Silverstone in the 90s, but I was very into Carrie Always. So... It's just so wild because her acting style is very similar here to what she does in Clueless, Mm -hmm. like facial expressions, lip biting, except here it's obviously sexed up for the purposes of the narrative. But like, she's still the same person, like, which is not to diminish her acting talent. I think it's more channeling different facets of her repertoire. But it is wild to be like, oh, God, this is giving me Cher Horowitz vibes, but like nymphette. Mm-hmm. She's, like, she's like evil Cher Horowitz. There we go. <laughs> yeah, when it's funny because I wrote in my notes, like she's like sexy Snow White because mm. she like controls all of the animals. Um, I think my... <laughs> she, know, she knows my... about wasps, Jen. <laughs> and, and horses. She knows how to kill with horses also. <laughs> right. I, my hot take for the episode, I think, is I, I love her and I think that I would like to be, be her, but in an age-appropriate <laughs> way, I think. Um, but yeah, so she is, she is the villain in this story or she is ostensibly the villain and I guess kind of... My question, because we've talked a little bit about how this movie is really about Carrie Elmay's making a lot of bad life choices. Um, mm-hmm. Do we see Adrian as the villain of this story? I mean, the movie watched to see her as the villain. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, for sure. One thing, one thing that, uh, I mean, I'm sure you had this in your notes, Jen, and sorry if I'm jumping on something you had planned to say, but this is supposedly based on a true story. <laughs> Um, was it really yeah that the the screenwriter yeah the screenwriter apparently went through or claims to have gone through an experience similar to what carrie elvis's character goes through to the point where he did not bother changing the name of the 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 girl Mm -hmm. the female character that stalks him in the original cut of the movie she's named darian but when the movie came out, her family sued him, basically because like he did not have the rights to make her essentially a character in this, you know, mostly fictitious, if not entirely fictitious story. Mm-hmm. So they actually, for uh, television and once it came out on VHS, they changed the character name to Adrian. But so every time mm-hmm. you hear a character say Adrian, that's been dubbed in later. Her, wow, her, I didn't the, know yeah, that. the character's original name is Darian. So you know, if if how however much of this story is actually true, you know, I I don't think for one second that the 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 screenwriter, who's also the director, intended mm-hmm. for there to be any sort of gray area here. That you know, it, it's all her. It's it, she is the instigator. She is the problem. You know, the the you know, mm-hmm. you know, Nick, the main character, is. You know, innocent, you know, the only thing he's done wrong is be a nice guy. Mm-hmm. Be too handsome. He's just too handsome. <sighs> he's yeah. too handsome. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we should all have such problems, you know. 
I mean, this is an interesting piece, right? Because I think, Gina, you said off the top that you would never make this movie nowadays, much like Wild Things, because really this is a case of a man being falsely accused of sexually assaulting a woman, Mm -hmm. and it's like, woe is him. And we just, these kinds of stories are not good because we recognize that the vast majority of times when people are being accused of these crimes, it is because they have committed them. Like, we -hmm. we believe women, we trust women, (laughs) and these are narratives where it's like, well, women will lie, they will do anything to get what they want, like, That's kind of why I love early to mid-90s erotic thrillers, which Mm -hmm. I do classify this film as, even though it's listed as a psychological thriller Mm. on Wikipedia. But this is very much a, like, men beware cautionary tale. And I love that it is like, well, just be really careful around your 14-year-old neighbors because they could ruin your life. Right. (laughs) Yeah, and... (laughs) This was uh, has been described as fatal attraction for teens, which I think mm-hmm. is actually because we just covered fear. And I think the same yep. description, we talked about that. And I think this is a better fit uh, or a better comparison to that movie for better or worse, you know, because I feel like there are the same issues in fatal attraction that there are in this is like who is actually the villain and who is the victim here and I feel like the movie has very clearly decided that Adrian is wrong in all cases. And that does change my reading, knowing that this is like a, this was based on the writer's experience because it's almost now got this feeling of like, I don't want to say revenge porn. That feels a little Mm -hmm. too, um, but it feels like, like a smear campaign in a movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, also underlying the fact, you know, Gita, you said the writer is also the director and this movie is filled with shots of Alicia Silverstone's body in Uh a bikini, like lingering male gaze. And you're just like, are you sure you didn't touch that girl Mm -hmm. in real life? Because you sure do enjoy putting her. Yeah, he thinks he also thinks, you know, in in addition to a thriller, he also thinks he's making Lolita. So, you know, yes. so he's, yes. he's using yeah. a lot of similar shots, like the, you know, the looking down her sunglasses at him and all. And, and you know, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, what if I made that, what if I made Lolita, but she's really aware of the effect that she has on men? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's, she is using it to her advantage and she is manipulative. Right. Yeah. I mean, that is one of the more interesting parts about this film is that, Yes, Adrian is clearly coded as the villain, but she's also the smartest person in every room. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I wrote down so many reasons why I want to be Adrian's friend. And I will say, like, up until the point where she fakes a sexual assault, that is crossing a major line for me, and I do not um, want to be her anymore. But mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> she, like, she's super smart. She, like can kill with animals, which I think is super awesome. And uh, she's really catty just in the best way. And she knows about like split infinitives. And I actually wrote in my notes, I I bet she could teach me how commas work. (laughs) Commas are like my nemesis. (laughs) Um, But yeah, she is. And this was very 90s. Like, I feel like this stands out now, but it did not stand out then at all. Like, it may be giving her a little more overt power than we're normally used to seeing in these kinds of movies. But this felt like the way we were looking at young women and teens. Like, this feels like the Aerosmith video just with a plot, you know? (laughs) 
Well, Gina, I'm wondering if you have any insight into this, because I was watching this thinking, oh my god, this girl is basically a latchkey kid, except that it's almost too late for that. Like, I don't mm-hmm. understand how her parents don't understand that she's running around committing all of these various crimes, because, I mean, they very clearly think that she's a little angel, but, like, she must be out all night plotting all of these schemes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, certainly by the you know, late 80s, early 90s, that sort of, you know, very uh, uh, unrestricted kind of parenting was coming to an end. I certainly when I was when I was a teenager, it was a few years before this movie came out. Um, I mean, yeah, you you didn't really have your parents constantly checking up on you. It, it was possible to to you know sneak out of your house, and I mean, I do think that she is you know obviously unwell, and and you mm-hmm. know, the, the the parents have you know kind of chosen to ignore this. So, you know, mm-hmm. they, they, you know they they are you know, they they are you know, in no small in no small way responsible for what happens as well. Um but you know and you've got the kind of stereotypical, you know, wealthy family who, you know, is you know, ignoring or hiding that they you know, have a mentally ill child because it's, you know, it's embarrassing and you know, we we just we don't talk about that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Which you know, yeah, that was that, that was reflective of the time, I think, and then thankfully that's improved over the years. Perhaps slower than it should have, but it's gotten a little better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the movie is more interested in painting them as kind of, I don't want to say ogres, but they're very clearly catty, wealthy people because that brief scene that we see of the party that they throw that Nick attends. It's basically just an opportunity to talk about, oh, who had plastic surgery? <laughs> exactly. And specifically boobs also, you know. Mm-hmm. Like they're not talking about nose jobs. Um, and it's it feels like an interesting kind of carryover from the 80s, like the John Hughes films where like the parents are always shitty and they never like pay attention to the kids at all, you know, because mm-hmm. there's that kind of vibe, but it feels like a little more pointed here. It's like this is this is what happens when you don't pay attention to your kids, because like if I'm giving myself over to this movie, by the end of the movie, I really wanted to like scream in Kurtwood Smith's face, like, look what your daughter did. Look. <laughs> what you let her do you know well there's they infantilize her to such a high degree Mm -hmm. right like we we made fun of the fact that this movie has a climax that involves a carousel in an (laughs) attic because it's so utterly ridiculous Mm -hmm. but at the same time daddy made a carousel for his little girl and you're like uh look at her she is a preteen she clearly has no interest in anything that you're doing like she is not daddy's little girl. She's nearly a grown woman. Mm-hmm. And she definitely knows how to play into that, too. And that's one of the things I love about her. And we already said she's the smartest person in every room. So she knows exactly how to manipulate her way. She knows when to be daddy's little girl when she needs to be. And she knows when to be Miss. Um, I'm going to barge into the middle of your office party um, and be an, a grown up quote unquote but it's interesting to watch her try to navigate this without the emotional maturity that I think she would get even like with five years you know mm-hmm. that that scene where she crashes Nick's party and then screams as he like drags her away 
I'm I'm just like, oh, actually, that's a masterclass performance because he probably would be fired for that. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, she it's become, you know, she's trying to do that sort of, you know, obsessed stalker thing. It's like, where I'm, I'm going to drive everybody else out of your life, even your job, so that all that you have is me. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And she does it very well, you know, and it's interesting, like, my daughter is 10 right now so she is kind of getting like she's going to middle school next year which terrifies me (laughs) Um, and so (laughs) so she's almost ready to leave the carousel behind is what you're saying she is yeah oh my gosh but i'm i'm thinking about how to try to teach her to like navigate this world because i don't want to teach her to be ashamed of her body i don't want to i don't want her to hide who she is i want her to be assertive i want her to be outgoing but you have to like there has to be some kind of intelligence with that like i don't need to do all of those things around the wrong people or even around people that might be tempted by that and so it's just this weird line of like trying to figure out how to be a teenage girl in a world that is dangerous for teenage girls you know yeah i mean one of the things that's always interesting about these kinds of movies particularly you know our podcast is bounded on the idea that we're looking at primarily female protagonists who Mm -hmm. are undergoing some kind of trauma or episode. So when we do cover the episodes where it's like men who are spiraling, it's interesting for different reasons. But I love that because this is Hollywood and this is a male writer-director, I'm not saying this exclusively, but in this particular film, it's very obviously like, well, a woman's going to go after other women to make a man's life terrible. So it's like the poor best friend falls off the horse. The poor <laughs> girlfriend gets, you know, the waspness in the dark room. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I think that uh, one of the, um, you know, another another trend of the 90s is is how dangerous teenage girls are. They're very dangerous. You know, mm-hmm. So you've got, you've got this, you've got... Uh, Poison Ivy, which this movie resembles a lot. Yep. Um, uh-huh. Like I, I do think that when the the screenwriter wrote this movie, you know, he basically had a framed photograph of Drew Barrymore on on his on his, on his desk, and then right. and then mm-hmm. when it when it came time to cast it, she's like, oh shit, she's too old now, because like like Drew Barrymore would have been maybe like nineteen, maybe when this when this movie was made. So yeah, she would have been. You probably could have easily played fourteen, but you know they, for whatever reason, they wanted an actual you know fourteen year old to play this character. Well, you got this. You have mm-hmm. got again to to bring up uh, wild things. You have got uh, the craft. Uh, you know, you've got you know they're they're not just dangerous to you know to men they're dangerous to other teenage girls and you know it's a little right. a little inflated the danger that teenage girls because because it, I mean let's come down to it <laughs> it's because adult male screenwriters are angry and frustrated about how turned on they make them and they don't know how to deal with that because society says you're not supposed to you're not supposed to you know address that you know what i mean like you're not you're not supposed to act on those you know urges that a teenage girl makes you feel so you know let's you know let's you kind of twist that image around and make them these these monsters and just make us feel that way Mm-hmm. exactly <laughs> what was i supposed to do she's so hot is essentially like the the thesis yes. you know 
Yeah, I mean, it's wild to me, having just watched Fear, that this is basically the William Peterson side of Fear, mm, mm-hmm. and you just remove Reese Witherspoon and just focus on his feelings for Alyssa Milano. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Like, yep. there's, a, there's a lot of opportunity. As you as you said, Dan, this is, you know, a movie in which Carriol just makes a lot of bad decisions. And mm-hmm. there are so many opportunities he has in this movie to keep things from going as far as they do. And and he mm-hmm. just does not take them. Like, right, right up to the very end, like, after this girl has accused, has plausibly accused him of rape, he goes into mm-hmm. her house. You know, on on the on, on you know, <laughs> no. on the premise of going to rescue Cheyenne, another teenage girl who keeps hanging around mm-hmm. him, and I'm just like, dude, just <laughs> put in an anonymous call to nine one one and get the fuck out. That's all you have to right. do in this situation. But like, you know, she's mm-hmm. asking him to take her for rides. He's taking her for a ride, and it's just like, no, dude, come on, man, no, no, no. Yeah, e- even the moment where she kisses him at the lighthouse, which we later learn is an infamous makeout point, that would have been the time to have sat down with the parents and been like, so listen, here's what's happening. I think it's probably inappropriate. I'm going to hang out. I'm, you know, let you folks deal with this. I'm maybe going to start looking at a new place because I don't want to be involved in this. Right, exactly. Right. Like, just, just yeah. you, you really have to move. You have to remove yourself from this situation. Yeah, because I feel like, like she is a teenage girl, and not to make excuses for what she does, but if we look at like the first half of the movie, this is a lot of this is pretty typical teenage girl behavior, you know, especially mm-hmm. for girls who are very confident or lonely and are looking for ways to kind of get close to people and this was at a time where we were really had all of these examples like poison ivy and like all of the things that we just mentioned about how to use your sexuality to get things for yourself you know i don't think we were really critiquing that at the time the way we are now and so like i have thoughts about what this says at the end but towards the middle like that's that's really his only option because it's hard to sit down with a teenage girl and say look this is illegal this is not going to happen because people try Mm -hmm. to do that with her and she like accuses them of having small breasts which i I love that line (laughs) (laughs) or she's like oh nick you know yeah i mean nick's inability to realize you just cut this off like that is the way that you go about it obviously then there's no movie and it's not very interesting to watch but when he says things like i'm 28 and you're 14 but i'll always be your friend you're like Listen to the words that are coming out of your mouth. Mm-hmm. You are 28. Why are you telling a preteen that you're going to be their friend? You should not be around them without their parents. Yeah, well, like, you, you know do, why do, he is, though. You do, do not tell a teenage girl, if I was 10 years older, et cetera, et cetera, dot, dot, dot. Or if you were 10 years older, rather. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, no, no, don't put that idea in her head, man. Exactly, because then you just wait around. And I say this as a person who used to become very codependently obsessed with people. Like, you hear that as a, well, in 10 years, we're going to get married and have nine babies. So you just hang out and kill everybody that gets in your way, you know? Um, Right. Like, this is why Jen isn't allowed within 10 feet of Eric Stoltz. (laughs) Exactly. That is for good reason. I respect that limit, and it's fine. (laughs) Now, I did have... 
I don't know. Jen in college lived a very different life than Jen now. Um, but I did have a night where I called a guy like probably 50 times. Um, but not 98. No, not 98. No, I, I draw the line at 50. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but I was also like he was age appropriate and we were in college and it was fine. Uh, not fine, but, you know, not illegal. Um, but it, it's like he doesn't want it to be his fault. You know, like he like if 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 this were Cheyenne who lived in this house and I'm not saying anything about um, Amber Benson's appearance or like but she is not like sexed up in this movie. You know, she is not acting right. seductively like if it were her i don't think this would have been an issue because he just would have ignored it the problem is he wants to be with her because she's attractive and so he is mad at her because of he him being attracted to her and so of course she has to be crazy you know mm-hmm. which just makes it all the more wild because like we haven't really talked about amy who is played by the wonderful jennifer rubin mm-hmm. but like he's clearly courting like to the point they they are so nearly a couple for most of the film that at the point where they formally have their date, I'm using air quotes <laughs> here, where he's like, oh, I, I thought you had that, that metaphor about, you know, like not baking bread where blah, blah, blah. And you're just like, okay, Nick, whatever. Mm-hmm. But that that moment where they decide, oh, yeah, we should actually date. I was like, oh, they haven't been dating this entire movie because they've been acting like they're fucking. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, when they first meet, when he walks into that meeting room, she's just like, eh, eh, just like looking him up and down. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, right. by me. Man. He is Carrie Elway's. I would be well, yeah, looking at him, too. Fair, but yeah. <laughs> he's, he's got that half English accent that comes out every <laughs> once in a while that doesn't make any sense. I know. I always remember that line in uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights. He says, and unlike other Robin Hoods, I can speak in a British accent. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you can um <laughs> sometimes you're not supposed to but you are <laughs> exactly well it's interesting though because i feel like in a lot of ways and gina i totally agree you can't make this movie anymore but there are a lot of ways like i feel like this movie holds up very well and there's a lot of like look at all these women around me trying to make my life miserable um i'm just a babe in the woods who's just drifting through all of these women who are so attracted to me what am i going to do that feels mm-hmm. very relevant right now you know it feel it i, oh, I yeah. don't want to say it feels like incel culture but it's got that vibe to it you know you know i i think you could certainly make a a stalker movie and I think you could even do one where, you know, the, the, the man is generally blameless other than, you know, making a lot of mm-hmm. dumb decisions. You know, I, I think it's more of a, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, obviously you really can't do it with a teenage girl anymore. That's just not like because no, no mm-hmm. one buys anymore that that when it comes to a you know situation in which a man, an older man is being stalked, supposedly stalked and harassed by a teenage girl. The teenage girl is not going to be, the teenager's not going to be driving, driving the bus in this situation. They're, they're just mm. not. No matter, no matter how smart they are, no matter how good they are at the piano or riding horses or whatever, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the power dynamic, he's always going to, the older one of the situation is always going to have the power dynamic. But, you know, I, I also think, you know, there's a lot of, you know, as was already pointed out, a lot of having, you know, one's cake and eating it too, where, you know, oh, you know, she's so aggressively, you know, you, 
adult acting with him, but also let's linger for a while on her bare stomach or, you know, have like a scene where we just mm-hmm. gonna, we're just going to show her just laying out on the lawn. And, you know, it's like, okay, well, are we supposed to think that, you know, is this from his perspective that he is checking her out and like, you know, yes. is, is confused mm-hmm. about how he, you know, feels about her because... Okay, it's like okay, but, mm-hmm. but but you're also kind of making like this beacon of virtue at the same time. So I I don't know what you want me to think of this character of, of Nick. Yeah, it, it's tricky, right? Because I feel like we're meant to unequivocally think of him as a good, decent guy, and mm-hmm. he just keeps getting in over his head. Like one of my favorite scenes in this movie is when he sneaks into her bedroom, and mm-hmm. you're just like, red flags, don't do this. We all know where it's going to go. That's Mm -hmm. part of the enjoyment of the scene. But yeah, he ends up getting locked in the closet. And then she starts to undress. But we see him looking at her. He doesn't try to look away. And of course, because she's the smartest person in the room, she knows he's there. So she gives him like this little strip-teasy wink because now she's got him. And then she can leverage that against him later on. Like, it, it's such a meaningful telling scene where you're just like, well, Nick, you shouldn't have gone in there in the first place. You should have averted your eyes. You should have said something, but you didn't because you thought you were a nice guy. Mm. Yeah, you know, just, you know, the message is, the message to adult men is keep a respectful distance from teenage girls. Yes. Just, you look, know, though. R- don't forget to look. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you're just like, like, you don't try to you, you could be polite to them you could be nice don't try to be their big pal their friend you know what i mean just 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 you know be polite mm-hmm. and keep your distance yeah even right. around like i don't want to say normal girls but girls who are not overtly trying to stalk you because you just never know and you teenagers just should be responsible for their actions but they're just they're a creature to their hormones and they just don't have the emotional maturity to understand situations like this which is why age of consent laws are a thing you know mm-hmm. i mean there are a lot of there are a lot of adults there are a lot of adults who don't know how to read someone being nice to them and <laughs> and, and take that right. as oh well clearly you're madly in love with me yeah, did I tell you when I called that guy 50 times? Because that <laughs> sounds like Jen in her 20s. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Nick is over his head in nearly all of these situations. He just never seems to know the right thing to do or even the things that he should be doing to help himself out. Like, after he's been accused of sexually assaulting Adrian, he literally still allows Cheyenne to come into his bedroom or into his apartment unaccompanied by another adult it's like sir even though you know you're innocent everyone else thinks that you have assaulted this underage girl and now you've got another underage girl in your apartment what are you doing right now i i do think it's interesting that the way the movie ends can we can we jump to the ending yeah mm -hmm. sure okay so you know as you say uh cheyenne comes to see him again he lets her in he's just not like you you really you should leave you shouldn't be here whatever you know i don't remember why does she go why does she go to the house i think because she feels bad for him so she's like i'll go and get the diary Mm -hmm. okay right 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 so she and then i guess uh, adrian kind of you know overwhelms her and ties her up with this on this carousel (laughs) And, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, um, 
And so uh, uh, Nick goes to rescue Cheyenne, which is which is dumb. Let's face it, it is. It's dumb for him to do that. <laughs> uh, Adrian, you know, goes nuts and attacks him, and then Adrian's father shows up and and attacks Nick, and Adrian knocks him out. Which you know, I it seems to me that you know the way you know Adrian's father has been portrayed up to this point, it would seem to me that. I could easily see him turning around and blaming this all on Nick. And, 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 you know. Oh, sure. You know, and I don't know why that doesn't happen. Like, I'm not sure, you know, you know, why he just, you know, doesn't cover up what his daughter does and puts it all, because it could be put all on him. Mm. But, you know, instead it's just like, oh, okay, now we suddenly know what's wrong with, now we know, now we realize there's something wrong with her. I, I think mm. it's partially because it could have only been Adrian who knocks him out. And then also, there's no denying the fact that Cheyenne was tied up. Well, that's true. And she would tell everyone, oh, it was Adrian. That's true. That's true. But I could see a father like him still trying to do that. Because we don't Mm -hmm. know what the fallout of that camp counselor's death was. We don't know how how clearly the signs pointed to Adrian. Cheyenne clearly knew what happened. um, And knew exactly where to find the evidence. Like, I bet her parents know she's got a diary. Um. And we also don't know exactly what happens. Like, we know that Nick is not in jail, and Mm -hmm. we know that she goes to get treatment. But it seems like a pretty nice treatment. Like, I could see them making some kind of, like, sweet deal for her, you know, to go to, like, fancy rich person jail, which is really just a spa with some counseling, you know. And to be honest, that's what she needs. Like, she really... She's 14, and she has got a lot of problems, but, like, she needs to get whatever mental illness she has diagnosed and she needs to get treatment, you know? Um, but what I think is interesting about the end of this is like, it seems like you're left with the assumption that there's like no way out for anybody in the situation. You know, she's got a new um, focal point, but she also is still obsessed with Nick. And it's like, once you have like touched this lightning rod, the lightning will always <laughs> be attracted to you, you know? So like, I could imagine whenever she gets out of this treatment facility, like she's immediately going to track down Nick. And I just started thinking, what is the logical next step for him to do? Which made me think about stalking just in general. So that's kind of that's kind of where I'm leading to, is I wanted to talk about like, this movie really shows how terrifying stalking is and how there is really legally nothing you can do about it, you know, unless until the point where they hurt you or kill you, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like he could get a restraining order against her. I think we're meant to assume, like I was reading the Wikipedia page and it suggests that they have moved. Like, I don't know. I, I couldn't figure out exactly what city this is meant to be based in. Mm-hmm. It was shot in Vancouver. But at the end of the Wikipedia entry says that they have uh, Nick goes to live with Amy in Seattle, suggesting that they were not in Seattle before. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if it was just like, oh, we fully bailed and now we're doing our own thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, somehow she's able to get his new address. So, (laughs) right. Right. Even then, you know, I mean, she could 
track them down. Like the lengths that I think they imply she is willing to go. And I think like in my fantasy mind, like Adrian gets some help and she is happy and maybe maybe she's on some medication. She's in therapy for the rest of her life. And then she's like invents some kind of like wasp invention that changes the world or something, <laughs> well, the, you know? The very end of the movie does imply that she will is is going to start directing her energies towards her, her Carrie Elvis-like doctor, so... Right. Yeah. Well, that's how I read it too. Is that she's, you know, she's still writing to Nick, but it's only until she really zeroes in on this doctor, and then he's just the new Nick. Like she'll she'll wean herself off of Nick because she'll have a new guy. And I think that's the thing that is that feels kind of upsetting to me about the end because I am left with the idea that the only way to stop her from ruining your life is to kill her. You know. Like, if she yep. is still alive and she knows you exist, she is going to try to hunt you down, you know? And I feel like that's what the movie is implying with this, is that she is, like, an unstoppable monster, which I I don't love. Mm-hmm. But I also think that it really illustrates stalking. Like, a, a, in theory, stalking is, like, she might always be there. And what are you going to do until, like, you can't make her not try to kill you with wasps you know you can't control that and i think that's it's just a really haunting note for the movie to end on you know yeah i wonder would you have found it more successful if we hadn't seen her fixating on the new doctor and we just had nick out on the street and he thinks he sees her and then he realizes it's just another girl who kind of looks like her and he's left with this idea that oh i'm always going to be looking over my shoulder for adrian Ooh, I do like that ending. I, yeah, I, I actually, I like that one a lot better because I, I, I feel like that the way it actually did in, I don't know if he was specifically setting up for a sequel, but it did feel very <laughs> like, like, you know, the end, question mark? <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. But I, I think, I think your, your uh, uh, suggestion, Joe, is probably more of the reality for people who have been stalked that you know even if you you know logically that they're locked up whether locked up means you know uh, you know in a psychiatric hospital or jail or dead or you put like two thousand miles between them and you if you see somebody you know for the rest of your life you see somebody with like you know their same hair color or wearing you know having a same kind of build as them you're always going to have a little you know mini panic attack like you're always going to feel like you have to look over your shoulder and i think that that is a a more not that this movie is trying to be particularly realistic but i I think that that would be a, a much more gripping and even kind of downer ending whereas with with this one you're just kind of like oh here she goes again right she's gonna do it again (laughs) yeah that that reminds me of like the ending of misery you know where she which is it has similar themes to this movie although it's a lot more gruesome um Mm -hmm. but i think what i want and what i like about your proposed ending joe is i feel like there's a reading of this where carrie always just like happened to walk by the wrong girl and then happens to get himself out of it and keeps going on with his life and hasn't learned anything you know right and like as long as she doesn't have his address he's fine and i think with that like implication that like oh i better look at this teenage girl she might become fixated i should probably stay away from her like that's not a bad thing for him to carry forward in his life, you know, is to maybe be a little more cautious about who he shows affection for, you know, this, Mm -hmm. I think this reading just kind of lets him get away with it. I mean, he does suffer, but 
not in a way that I feel like changes him in any way, you know? Now, now see, I have, I, I thought of like a, like a, like a more comical take on the ending where like he moves into his new uh-huh. house and, and he hears a knock on the door and like he opens the door and there's like a different teenage girl and she's like, you, 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 uh, hi, yeah. hi, I'm Jessica, uh-huh. I'm your new neighbor. And he just like slams the door. The slams. <laughs> <laughs> like he doesn't even say anything. He just like, nope, just like closes the door. Mm. <laughs> I would love. I mean, that. it's funny that you went comedic, Gina, because I was thinking, oh, if they remade this, they could make it really dark and grim and do what you thought might happen, which is that her father does cover the whole thing up and sends Nick to prison. Mm-hmm. It's like, um, I don't want to spoil it, but the original ending of Get Out, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, considering all of these endings and what we really want from Nick, I want to talk a little bit about Carrie Elways and not just because I find him super dreamy. I actually have another point, but this is really the <laughs> only the only movie that I think of as like a Carrie Elways in quotation marks movie, you know, where he is like the leading man. And I know he starred in a bunch of stuff. This was six years after The Princess Bride, which I love so much. And if you haven't seen it, listeners, check it out right now. But it was also, this was like right after Dracula, which Gina, I know you and I both love that movie as well. And Glory and Days of Thunder and my personal favorite Hot Shots, which is oh, yeah. so <laughs> stupid and so hilarious. I just remember at the end, he's like, and what's a chafing dish? That's my terrible British accent. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> But like he, but all of those movies are really starring other people. Like Princess Bride is the closest one of those, and really any Carrie Always movies where I can think of, other than Saw, that where he is really the leading man. And so I kind of want to ask, what do we think about him as a leading man in this movie? Uh, I I would actually challenge that because I would say Robin Hood is also mm, you're very right. much his film, but it's such a different film like it feels like it's just a comedic version Mm -hmm. of princess bride yeah well and the the robin hood the kevin costner robin hood i watched that movie over and over and over and over again i can probably quote 50 percent of that movie and sing all of the songs (laughs) Mm -hmm. does not hold Mm -hmm. up so well but (laughs) that oh that was a movie of my childhood um but yeah it felt like this was this feels like a testing ground for carry always leading man this you know mm-hmm. you know i think he's fine you know it, he, i think he, he's mostly cast because he's nice to look at and he, he's just a sort of like you mm-hmm. know kind of got this like unremarkable nice guy persona i mean it, it's hard when you're playing in a, a movie opposite a person who you know is not just the antagonist but like a really over-the-top antagonist you kind of just got to let them mm-hmm. you know you know you know you know you kind of just got to sit back and let them do their thing. And, and you know, he. I can see where people think he might be a little bland, but but he seems fine. Yeah. You know, I, I, I do, I am, I am impressed anew at how good of a, a comedic actor he is. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In this, he's playing everything completely straight, which, you know, maybe should have been a little campier, but, you know, he's fine. He's fine. I mean, having seen him go full camp in that first Saw film, I was happy <laughs> that he was a little bit reserved in this because when he screams, he gets a little too histrionic for me. So I appreciated that he was like aggravated, but he wasn't flipping his shit. You mean he wasn't turning blue in this movie? 
<laughs> I I completely agree. That's part of why I love Saul so much. And he will just always be one of my number one like nostalgia crushes. But yeah, he I like the reserved quality here. And I think he plays a very good second banana, you know? Like I think about mm-hmm. his role in Twister and I think in Hot Shots, like he's a very good not the lead, but adds a lot of flavor to yep. the movies, you know? And it's it's funny that, like, I was just thinking, he reminds me a lot of Eric Stoltz, you know? And there's that classic. <laughs> no, I just because he's my... Yeah, you could easily swap Eric Stoltz into this role and, and it would be the exact same movie. Yes. I mean, I mean, nothing against either of them, but mm. they both have that no, sort yeah. of, you know, kind of you know, rumpled An nice going charm. Yeah. But yeah. there's a certain, and this is going to sound really, this is probably going to sound mean, but they, hey, they both have made very great careers for themselves. So also they're probably sure. not listening. But it's like the 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 story about him originally starring in Back to the Future. And they were like, there's some kind of charisma that is missing, you know? And mm. so then they swapped in uh, Michael J. Fox, which was absolutely the right decision, as much as I love Eric Stoltz. Um, and I feel like he is an actor that really needs a balance of charisma in the movie that he's in, you know? Like mm-hmm. another uh, Eric Stoltz movie that I love is some kind of wonderful. And he's got these two fabulous women leads that are really kind of helping him carry the movie forward yeah Yeah. people to play off of exactly yeah and i mean so that's the other i want to talk about alicia silverstone because she is just fantastic in this movie and she is giving us all of the charisma that we need and so carrie always is just kind of able to kind of just wander through that probably sounds mean but like he he's able to (laughs) play it very straight because she is so over the top in a way that doesn't feel like oppressive you know it feels like right for the character you know yeah, there's the scene where she's trying to convince him to come to the party and he's like, well, I'm not really sure I've got so much work. I'm such a busy writer person, you know, <laughs> doing my bad writing. And she is doing the exact right amount of naive, innocent, like, oh, but please, I really want you to. And literally posing in the doorway sex pot. It's such a confident performance. You can totally see the star power. And this is her debut feature. It is. Yeah, she was in one episode of The Wonder Years before this. What did she do? Clueless after this was a uh, Clueless was 96. Yeah, this was a cut. This was a little after a couple of years after Clueless. I think this is no. The, this is before Clueless. I'm sorry, before Clueless. Yes, you're right. This is a little bit before Clueless. Um, but this is what I think got her booked for the Aerosmith videos, and this was a hit. But it wasn't like I don't think it was getting the mainstream attention. Um, like she no, won the 1994 no. MTV Movie Awards for Best Villain and Best Breakthrough Performance, which just brought me right back to high school, <laughs> remembering <laughs> that those things exist. But then I think um, it was the Aerosmith videos. Yeah, it's the next year is Aerosmith, and then the year after that is Clueless. Yeah, and Hideaway also. I was a big fan of Hideaway back in the day. That might be a fun one for us to cover at some point, too. But I also want to say, too, she has a very strict nudity clause in all of her contracts. Like, she absolutely refuses to appear nude, and so she always has a body double. And even, I was reading on the Wikipedia thing, so who knows if this is true, but, like, even in The Graduate, like, she made them 
change the costuming to give her underwear for that scene, which I think is really interesting. And I wonder if that's why she kind of has a lot of the confidence, the sexual confidence that she does in this movie is because she knows it's not going to be, her body is not going to actually be on screen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. She, uh, she's one of those, you know, teen actresses that turned out surprisingly normal. I mean, I know there was like mm-hmm. right. you know some weird stuff with like <laughs> feeding feeding her her which, infant son from like directly uh, from her mouth or something, but which you know uh, I mean as far as like like yeah. she like she never I don't think she ever got involved in drugs like you know she seems to have had mm-hmm. a pretty normal mm-hmm. normal personal life and yeah you may be right that she you know maybe was very straightforward you know about what she you know would or wouldn't do and also probably had parents who you know. You, guided her and and you know gave her a normal life as opposed to unfortunately a lot of her peers like uh like uh, Lindsay Lohan mm-hmm. Lindsay, Lindsay Lohan was a little bit later but you know Drew Barrymore people like that mm-hmm. who found out their you know their parents were basically using them as a cash crop mm-hmm. yeah and giving them substances to abuse yeah and like if when I read the first sentence of she became an emancipated minor while making this movie, I expected the rest of that sentence to be to protect herself from her like parents who were trying to take all her money. But it was really mm-hmm. just so that she could do this movie, which I think like maybe that's where the nudity clause came from. They were if she were my daughter, I would be like, yes, but ironclad, you are not appearing nude in this movie, you know, and then mm-hmm. just carrying that forward. And I also I read her cookbook a little while ago, and it is a good cookbook. There are, there's some really good uh, chocolate peanut butter cups in it. Um, she, <laughs> she's a big. I think she's vegan. Yeah, um, she's vegan. Yeah, right? she's very much an animal rights activist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, my a couple of years flirting with veganism. I read it, and yeah, I like her a lot. I don't agree with everything like feeding my child out of my mouth but it was just um, it was just wild it was wild seeing her show up in a relatively small role in um uh the killing of a sacred deer where she is playing right she's playing uh uh barry keegan is that how you pronounce his last name um uh the actor who is in banshees of uh in a sharon um she's his mm-hmm. mother in that and i'm like are, okay are you guys yep. even far enough apart in age to be playing Playing, I mean, but on the other hand, he looks he looks very young. I mean, he's like thirty, but mm-hmm. he could he could easily play like nineteen or twenty. But it was just very surprising to see her pop up, you know, maybe for five minutes of screen time, playing his equally weird mother in this you know very weird movie. Yeah, yeah, and she's the opening of the lodge. Ooh. And if you want, like comfort watch to the max she's the mother on the babysitters club the netflix tv show which i highly recommend i do too um, i loved that show and i love seeing so her good. It, it really and she's was. amazing she was yes oh my gosh that's such it's a just movie. very I weird to see her play daughter. it's it's just very weird seeing her jump from like nymphette to mom roles mm-hmm. in in you know what appears yes. to be what feels like only like a decade or so she never right. like, really, you know, she never just really did. Like, <laughs> to my knowledge, you know, I mean, sure, you could classify Clueless as a romantic comedy, but I don't, I don't know that she ever did like a spate of like adult romantic comedies where you know she's you no. played a you know, you 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 fun and free you know, free t- you know, person in her twenties. Well, I mean, let's let's face it, and Joe, you you and I talked about this on horror queers. 
I mean, Batman Robin did her career no favors. It killed her career. Yeah, she yeah. was pretty much out of the loop for a long time. So I think when she came back, unfortunately, she kind of missed, you know, because of the way Hollywood cast women, you know, she missed that kind of like, you know, you know, cute 20s era and then went right to play moms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, like, there's a new Reese Witherspoon movie on Netflix now where she's playing, like, um, a dating mom. You know, I feel like she has really found a place for herself in the industry to kind of let allow herself to age and keep playing roles that suit her very well, you know. And it feels like Alicia Silverstone just kind of missed that a little bit, you know. And there, there's the story about um, she got a three-picture deal um and I think Clueless was the first, or was it the three-picture deal based on Clueless? I think it was as a result of Clueless, As a result yeah. of Clueless, and that those didn't really work out very well. Um, no, that one where she kidnaps herself yeah. is, like, truly terrible. I, wasn't that, like, Benicio Del Toro, one of his first... Um, I'm saying the wrong person. I think so, yeah. Sorry, not because he's the, the director. Sorry. <laughs> it's Adrian Grenier. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. That's right, yeah. Um. Yeah, but I would like to see her do more because I really loved her in The Lodge. Like, she's only in it for a minute, but it just, like, rips your heart out, you know? And she's, mm-hmm. I just really like her in these kind of more motherly roles now, you know, I think. And she doesn't have, like, the baggage of someone like Lindsay Lohan, you know, where she can just kind of drop into a movie and do it very well and be great, you know? Well, I think there's there's still a lot of goodwill for her. Mm-hmm. That's that's what's kind of held off. As you said, Gina, she doesn't really have a troubled history or something where we have to overcome the cultural baggage. Mm-hmm. So when she shows up, we want good things from her. It's just a question of like, what kinds of projects is she picking? And a lot of them right now are mom roles or very low budget horror films. I mean, that may be what she just wants to do. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I know she did a lot of work with animal rights. And I think, like, her focus was just not on filmmaking, which I also think is kind of refreshing, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, you go away for a while and you come back when you want to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The uh, the movie that you are that you were talking about where she stages her own kidnapping was called Excess Baggage. I... Do not That's recall right. that movie in the slightest. I I, you, I, I, I don't doubt it existed. I do not recall that. When I think of uh, people staging their own kidnappings, I think of the one with uh, uh, Cameron Diaz and Ewan McGregor. Which I think came out a couple oh, yeah. a couple of years after that, but that's what I thought you were talking about. Of a life less ordinary. Yes, that's right. Uh, and, I, and I was I had at, that on VHS. I was I was looking <laughs> at uh, Alicia Silverstone's filmography. I'm like, excess back. Oh, that's the movie they were just talking about. Okay. Yeah, I remember that was the one like that was really billed to be the next Clueless, and it just. And you're right. It was Benicio del Toro that was in it with her. You were was you it? Are, you, you were was correct. Right? Yes, you were hmm. right. Okay. Wait, who's the director? Guillermo del Toro. That's <laughs> that's oh who I, God, I started. The, I know. I'm getting them all mixed up. Um, <laughs> well, let's talk. We mentioned her earlier, but I do want to mention Jennifer Rubin in this movie, who is also Taryn in Dream Warriors, who I... That movie freaks me out because of the veins thing, but I love her in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was a she, she was a is. thing for she was a thing for a little while in like <clears throat> late eighties early nineties but she she did generally do mostly horror she was in another uh, kind of underseen yeah. horror movie called Bad Dreams uh, in which she she escapes a 
like a, a, a mass death from a cult and is basically haunted by the cult leader. It's actually pretty good. Uh, I think I want to say it came out to be eight, maybe 88 or so. And it doesn't really get talked about a lot, which is surprising because I remember being on cable a fair amount back then. But yeah, I, I don't know what she's doing these days, but she was, she was in a fair amount of things in the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, I have never heard mm-hmm. of that movie, but now I want to check it out because it sounds interesting. And I like her. <laughs> she doesn't have a ton to do in this movie, but no. like she's just kind of the anti-Adrian, you know, or the age-appropriate love interest. But I do really like her. And her death, she's got one of those like hand that rocks the cradle greenhouse type deaths. That, well, she's not but dead. She's not yet. dead. That's right. She doesn't <laughs> die. <laughs> but you might as well think that because she's just gone from the entire back half of the film. Exactly. Like she gets attacked by the wasps and then, yeah, then she pops she's up just by, out of the she, film until she pops up in the yeah, end. Yeah, you're like, oh, she's okay. <laughs> right. Oh, she's fine. Okay. I know. I was like, pause. I want to see if she's still got some beast, some wasp stings on her, you know. Um, but and this is this is PG-13, isn't it? It must be. So it's a relatively bloodless movie, which I actually enjoy because of the age of everybody. Um And I also want to mention Amber Benson as Cheyenne, who I also really enjoy. I have not gotten to the seasons on Buffy where she is on, but I've heard a lot about Tara. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she's become quite a talent of her own as well. Like she she writes and directs and stuff now. Oh, that's awesome. Um, Yeah, I really I like this movie a lot. Like it's got a lot of problematic subject matter but i also think it's a good like fear like a gateway into talking about things that i think we just talk about in a better way than we did in the 90s you know well yeah i think when we Mm. when we when we see you know as we talked about well this is you know unfortunately how teenage girls are perceived as as you know being the aggressors and that you know if Adult men, you know, are are you know acting untoward? It's you know through no fault of their own because these these girls they they just they don't understand they don't they don't know how to you know read social cues. So what am I supposed to do? And and you know, right. I, I, I would certainly put it in you know if I were to write a book or teach a class on the history of how teenage girls are portrayed. In, in 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 pop culture i would definitely add this to it because i i feel like mm-hmm. this was among the last of the kind of these kind of movies that just blatantly removed any of the blame for the situation from from the the older character whereas later mm-hmm. they were, they, mm-hmm. you know you were a little you know movies were a little more realistic and you know it, it would be pretty upfront saying okay you know he shouldn't have done this you know, whereas you've got a, a, a lot of, a, there was a, a lot of TV, made for TV movies in the 80s also had like, yes. you know, baby, oh, yeah. you know, babysitters, nannies, uh, uh, mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the summer help where you've got these, uh, uh, these poor innocent men that are, are just completely helpless to, to the, the, you know, the wiles of this teenage girl. And, and, you know, and, and in the end, you know, the wife always forgives him and then, you know, things always mm-hmm. go back to normal. And now it's like, okay, you can't return to normal in, in your relationship after something like that. And I think, you know, more movies, of course, these days also focus on, you know, the people around these characters and the people who can see what's going on. Um, but yeah, I would certainly, this is a, a this a, it's a, a, a nice encapsulation of the 
you know, how we were still very weird and, and you know, kind of, you know, unapologetically <laughs> weird about people, about young teenage girls. You know, you've got like, again, this is from the era of Brooke Shields and uh, mm-hmm. uh, Drew Barrymore, where, you know, you couldn't uh, uh, mention, you couldn't write an article about them and not, you know, constantly, you know, comment on their appearances and how beautiful they were and, and how confident mm-hmm. they were. And it's like, okay, they're 12. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, stop talking like about what young. they, yeah, stop talking about what they look like. Yeah. But we couldn't. They were teenage models. No, exactly. No. It was it was a bad time, <laughs> yeah. you guys. It was a bad time. It was very good <laughs> on the surface, but there was a lot of rot underneath. Oh I yeah. One percent. And like something you were talking about earlier, Gina, like because uh, you mentioned the craft and you mentioned uh well, and we're talking about the crush, but I was just thinking, like, I wonder what watching this movie as a thirteen year old girl told me about women and about what I was supposed to do and be. And I think like it took me like if I emerged from this movie, like as a teenager, I think I could definitely see that she was the villain. And I think I would feel like a lot of shame about being a sexual person, but also I, like, here's how you get something. And so just don't get caught, you know? Well, yeah. And also you, you <laughs> probably, like- you probably question every interaction you've ever had with you know an adult man other than maybe your father as like you know, exactly oh god, oh, oh god i hope he didn't think i was like hitting whatever or anything. <laughs> <laughs> right but then i think like 10 years later or like as an adult i look at movies like this and like jennifer's body and like the witch especially and i think i had gotten i got to a point in my life where i was like well fine if i'm the villain i'm gonna be the villain and i'm gonna be powerful and i'm gonna be exciting and i'm not going to fake assault and i'm not going to try to kill people with wasps but this is one of those movies where i like i feel like there's a generation of uh girls or people that identify as women who've like grown up watching ourselves be vilified in this way and then Mm -hmm. kind of took reclaimed that power is like well fine i'll just be the villain and y'all can be afraid of me you know well, yeah it's a, it's a damned if you do damned if you don't situation you know what i mean it's like well if you are yeah so if you, are, if you already think i'm gonna do this i, I just won't do it exactly I'm, i might as well just harness my wasp squad you know <laughs> I'm I'm really into this wasp carrying <laughs> carrying a bag of wasps around <laughs> right <laughs> Well, and uh, we, so we are, you know, white ladies in crisis. And I think this movie, I would read it as like Carrie Elway's in crisis, you know, but since (laughs) this is, (laughs) since this is specifically like for the Love Hurts series, I wanted to talk just a little bit about Love Hurts. We've already talked about it quite a bit, but kind of as, as maybe as we're wrapping up, like how this could kind of fit into the Love Hurts genre by maybe asking like, who is hurt by this love? You know, although I might want to clarify and say lust hurts because mm. I don't think there's any love in this movie. I mean, she, I mean, I mean, really, it's Adrian is kind of like just lost her mind over this, uh, this situation. And like when mm. he finds this shrine that she's made in her bedroom where it's like <laughs> she has like, Boy. This how did that like, not burn the whole house down? Fire yeah, hazard, fire yeah. hazard. <laughs> You know, and I I don't know, like, like she is crying when he finds her. I don't know if she's faking it or not. She might be. But, mm-hmm. you know, she is obviously devastated 
you know, now I don't know if she is devastated because she feels bad about what she has done or she's devastated because if he goes to jail, she's not going to be able to see him anymore. So I, I, think, I think, you know, it, 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 in a way that, you know, it, you know, she has been hurt over it. And obviously, you know, Nick has, he doesn't love her, of course, but, you know, he, he you know, is sort of, you know, you know received the, you know, the, the brunt of <clears throat> her, her, you know, very disjointed, unhealthy feelings for him. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I was, I was sort of hanging back when the two of you were talking about, like, how much did it felt to have been a 13-year-old and watched this movie. I, I feel like the takeaway message from this whole thing is, like, girls don't be sexual. Mm-hmm. So, like, when you think about how this movie, like, the it's so confusing running to think about the messaging that we were giving girls in the 90s where it was like repress your sexuality because if you try to go after something you're probably being too aggressive mm-hmm. so f- from my perspective the love hurts of this film is less so about the actual narrative which is very mm. like condescending and very like men be careful of girls they'll fuck you over and yeah i think it, implicitly it's also saying hey girls don't be sexy like that's dangerous Yeah, which is a lot of the problem with the way women and girls have been viewed and classified for, like, because of the patriarchy. Because it's one saying girls don't be sexual because it's bad, but also girls be sexual because that's why people will care about you, you know, because we've got Cheyenne in this, who's just, she's wonderful in the role, but, like, she's just kind of an afterthought, and if she did not continue to insert herself into the plot... She's not really a factor in the story, you know? And so it's this, like, you can't really win at this time period by being a teenage girl because you're either being too sexual or you are not interesting or you're not somebody that we care about, you know? Right. Yeah. Like, it's weird, right? Because you don't want to be a Cheyenne in this film. Right. But also, you shouldn't be an Adrian because she's clearly bad. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we talked a lot about the coding in fear of um, Alyssa Milano's character and Reese Witherspoon's character. And I feel like there's a real clear coding in this movie of Adrian's character and Cheyenne's character is like this is one girl mm-hmm. that is that is fuckable and this is one who's not, you know, and they're that's just not how we should be talking about teenage girls, you know, but it's Adrian's fault that she is fuckable. Right. Well, and there's probably a lot more to say about if we were talking about this on psychoanalysis, I imagine we would probably talk a lot more about the um, faking sexual assault element of this story. Um, I don't know if we really need to go into that, but that is a really chilling element of this story, you know? Well, yeah, especially especially when you when you do know that the 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 writer supposedly based us on a real incident. Mm-hmm. I'd be, inter- so I'd be, I'd be, I'd, I'd yeah. honestly be, I honestly be interested in. I mean, I don't know how I would, but in hearing you, know, you know, the side of the real Adrian, what she has to say about it. Yeah, yeah. We need, we need like a VH1 behind the music <laughs> show about this. You know, like three, three people would watch and- it, but that's okay. I know <laughs> they would be us, and hey, we'd exactly. do it. So it'd be great. <laughs> Well, and it also reminds me too, like uh, another movie I used to watch over and over again when I was little is Overboard, and oh, yeah. um, which might be another fun one for us to talk about at some point. Um, 
But like, I know that there was a remake a couple of years ago where they tried to gender swap that one. And it just doesn't really work. Like I hadn't seen it. I haven't seen it, so I can't really comment. But it's like, it just feels different because of the inherent power dynamic. And so I'm thinking like, if we were to do this movie now and try to gender swap it, I just don't think it works. And I think that reveals more about our culture than it does about the story or the movie, you know? Well, as we are wrapping up, is there anything we want to mention that we have not talked about other than her piano playing, which is flawless and I love it. (laughs) (laughs) And her dress and hair in that scene. Yes. Oh. Yeah, I I, mean, I can't get over the carousel in the in the a working carousel. <laughs> and, and, and how did they even get how did they even get that in there? I mean, yeah, like you. Yeah, he says he brought it a piece by piece, but those horses are big. The roof is mm-hmm. big. Like, yeah, that's they must have put the roof on the house after putting the carousel in. That's the only thing. That like, what sense. what an insane set piece! <laughs> just just you know, they have a right. carousel. In their house. Uh Uh-huh. Well, and also just just, the thought, like, do they need to rent their house out, their guest house? Like, they're not hurting for money. But they don't do it for money. They're only doing it because they want to have someone there because they're not there so frequently. Which also was like, but you have a 13-year-old slash (laughs) 14-year-old daughter who apparently is there all the time. It's like, what it's like, is happening? It's like, right. Maybe you should be there a little more often. But oh, you, you mentioned <laughs> exactly. you mentioned you mentioned that uh, the renting out the house. I do love the the bit at the beginning of the of the uh, the movie where he's like looking at different uh, places to stay and like just finding <laughs> something wrong with them. And I'm like thinking like, mm. oh, all the, if all these places were like in New York, they'd be pulling in like like twenty five hundred dollars a month. <laughs> he's just like, ew, no. <laughs> <Right>. like, <laughs> one thing i will give this movie credit for i think is i was screaming in my notes move 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 and i like that he doesn't do it nearly soon enough but that he does try to move and the movie gives him a plausible reason why he can't and why he is still there which i i appreciated yeah and clearly the place he was going to move into uh that house was owned by like a weird witch or something (laughs) because (laughs) yeah she had nothing but ornaments hanging on that front porch. <laughs> yeah, if there's a lot of like the the mo- the aunt's house in Twister kind of energy there, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> speaking of Carrie, always. Um, well, I guess that probably concludes our conclu- our discussion on the crush. I do still think this movie it feels like it holds up in a way that makes it a rich text. I think I would say like I I did enjoy watching it. It like the '90s of it just smacks you in the face, you know. Mm-hmm. She rollerblades. I know. All the time. I know. Hey, she does wear pads though, elbow pads too, which I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, you got, but that, no you, got that, you got that that uh, Graham Ravel score, which is like he basically <laughs> he basically did so many iconic 90s movie scores he did the crow um Mm. yeah if you if you watch a movie from the 90s he probably did the score for it (laughs) yeah it's 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 definitely like it feels like a time stamp of where we were then you know yeah Um, yeah, totally And we have been in the 90s for a little while, like we because we did the net and we did fear and we did the crush. And I have to admit, that's my sweet spot for movies, especially with horror. 
Um, and also, I feel like it's a good sweet spot for erotic thrillers. Um, mm-hmm. But for our next movie, we are going to be uh, going into the present. So we are going to be talking about a 2022 release starring another one of my weird crushes, although I don't have as much attachment to this person as I do Carrie always, who will always have my heart. We are going to be talking about Palm Trees and Power Lines, which is a 2022 movie starring Jonathan Tucker and Lily McInerney. Yeah, so this is 2022, but it's like brand new, just coming out on VOD. So yeah. this is the most contemporary film we have ever covered on the show. I know, and I'm I'm very excited. Like, I was watching the trailer for this, and I was like, oh, this is fear. And I told you before we started recording, I expected Jonathan Tucker to start pounding on his chest, a la Marky Mark. So very excited <laughs> to, to kind of see this story through a contemporary lens, you know? Right, yeah. Although, who knows? Because I don't think any of us have seen it yet, right? Nope. No. So... We're going in cold. I've, I've ironically seen another film that is very similar in premise to this, which I don't think has come out yet. But yeah, uh, movies where older men target teenage girls and then they get into fights with their mom about it. Mm. All the rage, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lordy. Man, that just terrifies me about being a mom of a teenager. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> Am I going to have to start fighting off Marky Mark at some point? <laughs> well, okay. So if you want to talk to Joe, Joe, where can listeners find you? Ah, you can reach me at B Stole My Remote, and that's the letter B. And Gina, what about you? I am on Twitter under Gina Does Things. It's uh, G E N A. And I am on Twitter and Instagram at Jen Ferratu, and I will always welcome pictures of Carrie Elways and or Eric Stoltz. And if you can find one of them <laughs> together, then Ooh. bonus I'm sure, I, I, I'm sure there's got to be one. I'm sure it exists somewhere. somewhere. Exactly. They do kind of feel like uh, like spiritual cousins, you know, or, or brothers right. from different mothers. Which is maybe what the attraction for me was, but that's going to be it for us. We want to give a special thank you to the Anatomy of a Scream pod squad um, for hosting us. And you can check out lots of other awesome pods there. Like we mentioned Bodies of Horror, also White Ladies in Crisis, that's us. Mm-hmm. And Joe, you have a new show, Hey You, which I am really digging. Yeah, it's a recap podcast for you, the Netflix TV show that I'm doing with Sheree Bohannon. Best title ever, too. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) And that is going to be it for us. And so I guess for now, remember, the morning meeting starts at (laughs) 8.15. How would he know that? I know. Also, nobody's doing anything at 8.15. Like, it does not look like the meeting has started yet. They're just sitting around bullshitting. Exactly. But you have to be prompt for that bullshitting. (laughs) Prompt arrival for the bullshit. Exactly. (laughs) Anatomy of a Scream, Pod Squad.